0: Amen to that. Amen to the thought of, of scripture. There See, there's a secret also. Uh, it's part of my, my belief is to use as much scripture as possible because then I know God's talking to you and not me. See, right? Right? And the second part of that is the more scripture you use, the less time you spend on the camera. So <laughs> another good thing, right? <laughs> oh, it's great to see y'all here this evening. God is good. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Our magnificent and mighty God in heaven, we praise your holy and divine name and thank you so, so very much. We love, Lord God, speaking of your magnificent name, for holy is your name. And we we praise you and we thank you so, so very much for the opportunity to serve you, to be able to worship you, to recognize, Lord God, that that you recognize us and that from heaven you are looking down and you are glorified. And thank you for allowing us, your children, to be able to glorify you, the great and the wonderful and omnipresent God. We ask, O oh God, that you'll bless us as we worship you, to accept our worship. That it will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, that we'll never forget Jesus, your great Son, who died on that cruel, cruel cross of Calvary, that we might live. For your magnificent promises, Lord God, are wonderful, and your loving kindness endures from eternal time to eternal times. We thank you in Jesus' name and pray for your will. Amen. Uh, tonight, Genesis chapter 2. So I thought I'd, I'm going to try to slow down. I need to because this is the Sabbath. And um, I've been asked questions often about the Sabbath and the Sabbath day and, and why we don't keep the Sabbath day and things of that sort and thought. Uh, this is a good opportunity to present this message. But if I slow down too much, I might put Pat to sleep. So let's keep him going, right? <laughs> let's keep him going. Uh, the law of Moses and the Sabbath is a subject uh, that it has just been... One of those confusing subject matters, and it really, um, you know, I say this not—I say this uh, humbly. It's it's not it's not a, a, a confusing subject if you keep it in its context, right? I think this morning, Brother Lawrence was talking about you know times and errors in, in which the Bible was written, and so you keep it in its context, and I think then it's a lot easier to understand. So let's let's go ahead and begin with the first context of the Sabbath. So Genesis two, verse one, uh, God does introduce the Sabbath day to. The world at that time, right? Verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their host. And by the seventh day God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested uh, from all of his work, which God had created and made. So God set apart and established the seventh day, the Sabbath day, if you will, it was a holy, a sanctified day. But notice, God had not commanded man to keep this day as a holy day during the days of the patriarchs. You don't see Adam or Eve or Abraham or Sarah or Isaac or Jacob. or You don't find the patriarchs, Joseph. You don't see them keeping the Sabbath anywhere in the Scripture. The twelve sons of Jacob, none of them keep the Sabbath day. Why not? Because it was not a day that God sanctified to be worshiped, or if you will, to be kept holy, should I say. But rather, it was a day that God himself hallowed or sanctified. Now, next question that comes up, leaving this error, going into the next error, or the next uh, dispensation of time, the time of Moses, the law of Moses. But for this, let's go all the way to Jesus. Go to Galatians uh, chapter 4. Because the argument has been used many times over, Well, if Jesus kept the Sabbath, why shouldn't I? Well, there's a reason that Jesus kept the Sabbath. In fact, if you think about this, if you were going to judge Jesus by a law, what law would you judge him by? The law of Moses or the law of God, which is one in the same, because that was the time period in which he was born. Galatians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Now I say, as long as the air is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is an owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under The law. So see, Jesus is born under the law of Moses. Verse 5. In order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So Jesus Christ is born under a dispensation of the Mosaical period. Okay. Now, back to Matthew 5. Someone says, wait a minute. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. Well, of course, he did not come to abolish the law. That was the law in which he was judged. Instead, he came to keep that law to save humanity. Matthew 5 and verse 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished and so jesus says i came to keep the law to fulfill all the prophecies made of jesus christ right we're going to john 19 to fulfill all the prophecies made about jesus christ everything that god said in the old testament that points to jesus christ all of those things had to be fulfilled then we can open up a book the law of moses and say wait a minute here's what jesus here's what god says by way of prophecy about the messiah and here the messiah is fulfilling And has fulfilled all of these prophecies. So Jesus said, I did not come to destroy or abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. To complete it. When was it completed? Well, uh, John chapter 19 verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished. In order that the scripture might be fulfilled. Said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine, upon a branch of hyssop, and brought it up to his mouth. Verse 30, when Jesus therefore had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Well, what's finished? Exactly what he said. I didn't come to abolish it or destroy it, but to fulfill it. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So we understand contextually why Jesus kept the law of Moses, we understand contextually when the time period or era in which the law of Moses was given. Well, maybe not that yet. Let's go grab that. Going back to Deuteronomy uh, chapter or, uh, chapter 5, uh, looking at verse 1. We want to look at the, the context that God gave us and the people in whom he is speaking with when he gives the law of Moses. Keeping in mind that there are two peoples, if you will. God says all nations, we're all one, one, the human race. But at this time, what has come out of the human race are, are different uh, races. And, and so you have the Jew, to simplify it, and the Gentile. Anyone that's not a Jew by birth is a Gentile. And anyone, of course, that's born of Abraham, etc., etc., will be considered a Jew. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Look at whom God says he gave the law to. Then Moses summoned all Israel. Are there any Gentiles? No, you have Jew and you have Gentile. Israel, uh, the, the, the Jews. And said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statues and the ordinances which I am speaking today in your hearing, that you may learn them and observe them carefully. The Lord your God made the covenant with us at Horeb, who are the us, contextually, Israel, the Jews. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers. Who are they? The patriarchs. But with us, with all the sons of us alive here today, the Lord spoke to you face to face at the mountain from the midst of the fire. While I was standing between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up on the mountain, he said, and God goes on to give the commandments. Now go to Leviticus 27 and verse 34. There are many additional commandments that god gave to the israelites more than just the ten commandments right there are over 600 commandments that god has given to the children of israel uh, and by the way we we'll, maybe we'll follow this lesson up with that other law that goes along runs alongside the law of moses and we'll look at that and that goes back from the days of the patriarchs uh, but right now we're just talking about the law that was given to moses that is the law of god or the law of Moses itself, Leviticus 27 and verse 34. The Bible says, "These are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the sons of Israel at Sinai." Again, the law was not given to anyone else; was not given to any Gentile; only given to the Jews. Deuteronomy chapter seven, Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse six, uh, and, and following. The Bible says. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So that shows separation between Jew and Gentile. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were few of all the peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath, which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeems you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he gets very specific. Remember, you came out of Egypt, right? Out of Egypt, Moses let my people go. Now, that's very important. Uh, When we get to Nehemiah chapter 9, it's important because some have said, well, the law of Moses and the law of God are not the same law. Well, Nehemiah 8 confirms that the law of Moses and the law of God are the same law. And Nehemiah goes on to to add more to that in chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 9. The Bible says, "Thou didst see the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and didst hear their cry by the Red Sea. Then thou didst perform signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and all the people of his land. For thou didst... Know uh, that they acted arrogantly toward them, and didst make a name for thyself as it is this day. And thou didst divide the sea before them. So they passed through the midst of the sea on dry ground, and their pursuers uh, thou didst hurl into the depths like a stone into a raging waters. And with a pillar of cloud thou didst lead them by day, a pillar of fire uh, by night, to light for them the way in which they were to go. Then thou didst come down on Mount Sinai, and didst speak with them from heaven, and didst give to them just ordinances, true laws, good statutes, and commandments. So thou didst make known to them thy holy Sabbath, and didst lay down for them commandments and statutes and a law through thy servant Moses. So again, contextually to them, Nehemiah 8, he's talking to Israel. Okay, that's really important. The law of Moses was given to Israel and Israel alone. Ephesians chapter 2. So the Ten Commandments, when you think about the Ten Commandments, you ask yourself, well, should we follow the Ten Commandments? I get that question all the time. Shouldn't we follow some of those commandments? Don't we follow the commandments? Well, really, we, we don't follow the Ten Commandments. Um, we follow commandments that Jesus gave, um, that are that are introduced in the Ten Commandments. But if you remember, when you look at the Ten Commandments and compare them from the old law and the new law, they're raised to a spiritual level. See, in the old law, it's a physical law, right? You didn't even put the death for not keeping those commandments. In the new law, the New Testament uh, of Christ, it's raised to an entirely different level. Uh, we see that beginning in Matthew chapter uh, 5. But now, we jump all the way over to Ephesians chapter 2, and listen to what the... Uh, Spirit says. Verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles, in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers, uh, the covenants, the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There was an exclusion. Thank God for Jesus Christ. Now, remember that Jesus uh, looks forward and backwards in salvation, right? All the way back to Adam and forward to the last man that lives on the face of the earth. But from the scriptural standpoint, understanding the separation that God says, well, there was a time when you didn't have Christ, right? When you were separate from the world. Now, the question that comes up is, does that mean that God did not save people who were not Jews? Absolutely not. This has really nothing to do with that. But that's another topic for another time, right? I can show you many times in the Old Testament where God calls other people his people, and says, these are my people. So God had a specific reason uh, for separating the Jew from the Gentile. What do you think that num- number one predominant reason was? Jesus Christ. Because he had to follow the lineage of Jesus all the way through so that we can see. You can open the Bible up and say, okay, here's God's patriarchs. Here's God's mosaical time period, and here's Christ. And Christ is the fulfillment of all time from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 forward and also in John 1 from the days of eternity, right? So you can't see that unless you allow God to separate out Jew and Gentile to give us a more, a clearer, if you will, uh, understanding and more accurate understanding. Now, we're going back to Exodus for just a moment. Chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20 And I I would like to look at verse 1 and verse 2. And then we'll look at uh, the Sabbath that's given in that particular passage. So there, Exodus 20, beginning in verse 1 and verse 2. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So then you could contextually look through history, and you could say, you know what? Based on historical evidence, the Jews, the Hebrews, were brought out of the house of slavery. Right? Got it. Now, verse 8, he says to that same audience, he says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it, you shall not do any work. You or your sons or your daughters your male or female servants, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So he's talking to a specific people. And by the way, uh, some of them said, well, you know, today's Sabbath is Sunday. That's not what the Bible says. <laughs> There's no substitute for the Sabbath day. It is the seventh day. We'll, we'll continue, uh, next week, Lowell, and we'll talk more about the Sabbath to get a, a broader uh, understanding uh, of the Sabbath itself. But I want to look at Exodus 31. Exodus chapter 31, and I would like to look at verse 13. So the Sabbath is this. It is a sign between Israel and God. Right? Between the Jews and God. Gentiles are not, you can't find it anywhere in the Bible, commanded to keep the Sabbath. It was a sign between Israel and the Jews, or and God. And you might say, well, what about the proselytes? Well, the proselytes became Israelites, if you will, and so they were also under the command of keeping uh, the Sabbath day. Exodus 31 and verse 13. But as for you, speak... To the sons of Israel, saying, You shall surely observe my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Now next week, and maybe the week after, we're going to look at this idea of Sabbaths. Notice it's plural. He's not talking about Sabbath on this Saturday and the next Saturday to come. He's talking about the multiplicity of Sabbaths that God gave to his people. We'll come to that later. Verse 14, Therefore you are to observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Now may I ask you this question? For someone who says that we're supposed to keep the Sabbath today, who's going to put the man to death who breaks the Sabbath? Right? Who's going to do that? Again, this is a different time period, a different era for humanity. Verse 15, For six days work may be done. But on the seventh day, there is a Sabbath of complete rest. Holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generation as a perpetual covenant. That means until change, by the way, perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days... The Lord made the heaven and the earth, but on the seventh day he called, or ceased, excuse me, from the labor and was refreshed. So, and by the way, that, we're going to come to that when we get to us. And our, what our Sabbath day is, uh, as far as God has given it to us. But notice something else that's said, uh, in, uh, the verse 16. Forever. He says, or verse 17 rather, that is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. When you read the word forever, forever does not mean like eternal. Forever means, as it says, a perpetual, until a change comes. Let me give you an example of that. When you go back, it's not in my, in the, whatever, the script here. When you go back and you read the book of Jonah, look at how long Jonah said he was in the belly of the fish. And then Jesus confirms that that was the actual time period that he was in the, in the fish. Right? He said, I was in the belly of the fish forever. But he was only in the belly of the fish for three days. Three nights which was something that signifies the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So forever means as long as it lasts or until change comes. And that's really important. So when did change come? Well, we're going to talk about that later. Obviously, the answer is with Jesus Christ, the righteous. Exodus chapter 20, please. Exodus chapter 20. Here's another question as we think about uh, the scripture. In fact, I want to skip skip Exodus 20. Uh, I want to go to Ezekiel chapter 20. It's actually what I meant to say in the beginning. I made a mistake. I made a mistake. I was like, why would I go back to Exodus 20 again? Ezekiel chapter 20 is where I wanted to go. Um, beginning at verse uh, at verse 1. Beginning at verse 1. Now it came about in the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth of the month, that certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord And sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me saying. Son of man. Speak to the elders of Israel and say to them. Thus says the Lord God. Do you come to inquire of me? As I live declares the Lord God. I will not be inquired of by you. Will you judge them? Will you judge them? Son of man. Make them know the abominations of their fathers. So what abominations are they committing? Well Ezekiel Chapter 20 and verse 10. So I took them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. And I gave them my statutes and informed them of my ordinances by which if a man observes them, he will live. And also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me. In the wilderness, they did not walk in my statutes, and they rejected my ordinance by which I, by which if a man observes them, he will live. And my Sabbaths, they greatly profane. Then I resolved to pour out my wrath on them in the wilderness to annihilate them. So here, God is saying, this is one of the things they did that was horrible. They did not keep my Sabbaths. The law of God. The law of Moses and the Sabbath. So the Sabbaths, the ceremony of the Sabbath and the Sabbaths that come along with the law of Moses are all one. You can't separate them out. But what happens is some of the confusion is that people try to separate them out and say, Well, we celebrate the ceremonies, but not or we celebrate the ordinances, but not. You can't do that. You cannot pick and choose. Right. Okay, back to the New Testament. Now, let's stay in the New Testament. Galatians uh, chapter three. So then. Why did God even give us a law like the law of Moses? Why did he give the law of Moses to Israel? Why did he even give them that law? Why would God even give them this law of Sabbath keeping? What was the point behind that? Well, Galatians 3 gives us information. Verse 19. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions. Having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed should come whom the promise had been made. So because of sin. First one. Next next thought. Well, because we needed a tutor. Verse 21. Verse 21 says, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up all men under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, We were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our our tutor to lead us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. And so it had a purpose to bring mankind from worldliness and sin to Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and the verse is 1. It is also a shadow, right? It's not the actual great law that God gave to humanity, but rather it's a shadow of that law that would come. Verse one says, for the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of the things can never be by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually make perfect those who draw near. So think about this for a moment. What if we were to keep the Sabbath today and the sacrifices? And key, the key is Sabbath and sacrifices. You can't separate them out, right? So we're not allowed to go out and kill dead animals today, and we don't need to because of Jesus Christ, the righteous, and it's not by the blood of uh, bulls and goats that uh, could separate or save us from our sins anyway, but only by the blood of Jesus Christ. Chapter 7, Hebrews 7, verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect, and on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So if the law never, if it didn't make anything perfect, why are we still striving, people, you know, to go backwards to try to grab that which is imperfect, right? No, we don't need to do that. All right, let's, let's close this out. Back to Galatians. Back to Galatians. We're going to close out through some passages in the book of Galatians. Because we skipped something, even though we read it, I want to make sure that everyone grabbed it and held on to it and understood it. Why did God give us the law? We we talked about that. Now look at verse 17 of Galatians chapter 3. What I'm saying is this. The law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed should come to whom the promise had been made. Until the seed should come. It would have a perpetual covenant. The law has a perpetual covenant until change would come. Shiloh the seed. Well, How do we know that Jesus Christ is the seed that ends the law of Moses? You just go backwards. You go backwards just a bit to verse 15. And you read, Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. So how long was the law supposed to last? Until Jesus Christ came and fulfilled it. And so if you keep it in its proper context, then we understand that we don't follow the law of Moses today in any way, shape, or form. We don't even grab one commandment or covenant out of the law of Moses. We keep everything according to the law of Christ with better hopes and better promises. So now we close in verse 24 and following. The text says, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Therefore neither is there, there is neither Jew nor Greek There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And you get the understanding of Abraham's offspring when you go back to about verse 14 of the same chapter. So you can read the whole chapter of Galatians, chapter 3, and really teach a great lesson on why the law of Moses is no longer to be followed. But notice it says that the tutor leads us to Christ, and then in verse 27, for all who've been baptized into Christ have clothed themselves with Christ. And so tonight the question is, have you been baptized into Christ Jesus? And before you baptize, baptized, you must hear the Word of God and believe it. And then you must be willing to repent, have a, a godly sorrow, a change of heart, to now live for Jesus, to do things you hadn't done. For example, I, I didn't go to worship, I've never been to worship, but now that I've repented, I'm going to start going to worship every Sunday because God commands me to do it. You know, you, you repent, you change the way that you live. And then you make a good confession that Jesus is Lord, the Christ, the Son of the living God, and baptized, immersed in water for the remission of your sins. And then God makes us all one. And that's the beauty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The lesson is yours. Thank you for your time. Tonight we'll come back, Lord willing, with the second part of this to, uh, to ensure that um, you can talk about the Sabbaths to other people as well as you're teaching them about the Sabbath. Thank you.